You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello, my name is David Frizzell, and in this episode of the Team Guru Podcast, we're going to talk about one of the most important if not the most important skill a leader can have, asking questions. My guest is Corinne Armour, and in her new book, Corinne mounts an impressive case that leaders who ask build fearless team cultures in which people take accountability for their work, develop their ability to think through issues and challenges, and grow as people and professionals. In the conversation you're about to hear, Corinne tells us all about the reason that asking questions unlocks such value in our people and our teams. She tells us why we are typically so bad at doing it, and she gives us some super helpful tips that will help us develop the habit. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Corinne Armour. Corinne Armour, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you, David. It's great to be here. Corinne, I have recently been reading your book, which is all about leaders who ask. That skill of asking questions, I'm obviously going to get you to talk us all through that really soon and tell us why that is the thing that you've landed on as the most important skill. I'm intrigued. I love the way you describe it in your book. But I want to go back to basics. We do this every now and then in the Team Guru podcast where we we have a topic that is just so directly about leadership. I want to go back to the basics and, and get your opinion on a few things. Now, before we hit record, folks, I told Corinne I was going to ask her the most difficult question in our field. And here we go, Corinne. I didn't tell you what it was going to be. So let's start the conversation at this level. I want to know... When you're doing your thing, when you're doing your coaching and speaking and running workshops, what is your definition of leadership? Oh, you're right. That is the hardest question. And I think my definition shifts. So maybe I'll talk in principles rather than a definition. I think the first thing is you can't be a leader without followers. And so by definition, to be leading, there must be someone or a group following you. And Perhaps that's the second principle. I think the first principle is that you need to be able to lead yourself. So unless you can understand yourself, you know what your strengths are, you know, and not necessarily all your weaknesses, but you know what your weaknesses are and you can lead yourself. You don't have any right to lead anybody else. And then I think the third principle is about being very situational. So as the leader in the moment, who do you need to be? And what does the situation or the people need from you? So I think they're the principles. So first, you need to be able to lead yourself. Obviously, I I like that one. Without any followers, you are not a leader. So to be a leader, you've got to have followers. And, And your third principle is about understanding the context or the situation. They're they're pretty good. You passed the test, by the way. It is a tricky question, and I don't know about you, but I, I often in workshops get people to define leadership because even that in itself is a really interesting question and it brings out all sorts of really valuable discussions about the way people see leaders. 
and themselves as leaders. So the most logical follow-on question then, and it relates to the references that you made a lot in your book about leadership style. Let's explore for a minute when we talk about understanding our own leadership style. What are the what are the main groups of styles that are out there and, and how do we go about it? Well, first of all, how, why is it so important that we each understand our own leadership style and how do we go about diagnosing that? I think a really good way to diagnose your leadership style is to use a good profiling tool. So work with somebody who has expertise in this area and can give you some really good insights that's hard to gain yourself. But putting that aside for a minute, if we haven't got that opportunity, I think it's things like, are you an introvert or an extrovert? And I don't think that one is right or wrong in terms of leadership, but understanding, are you getting your energy from being around people? Is, um, you know, gatherings going to build your ideas and your creativity? Do you want to brainstorm with other people? Or are you much more effective when you're sitting quietly or perhaps working just with one or two other people? So understanding your introvert, extrovert profile. And I think whether you... Whether you think about yourself as a solo leader or as the leader in front or whether you think that it's we who are doing this, I think they're two really important, simple dimensions that people can diagnose themselves that will help to get a sense of how's their leadership likely to be experienced by other people. They are really important ones. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and they come back to the first principle that you listed when we talked about what leadership is. For me to understand that I'm an introvert and I am an introvert, rather than an extrovert. And I'm a very clear introvert in that it really does cost me energy to initiate contact and, and have conversations. And that's fine. I, I can still do it. I just know that it's going to cost me energy. But I also have a really acute awareness that I, as a result of that, shy away from it. I don't naturally look for it. I will put it off as long as I can. And it won't be my first port of call, even when often it's the best it's the best solution to a problem or the best way forward in a given situation. So to understand that about ourselves is really important. Uh, even just that question, am I an introverted leader who is shying away from having contact with people because it costs me energy? I have as few conversations as possible. I don't pop around and see my people. I don't have those, those chance conversations that can be so valuable. And it's not the be all and end all of leadership, but it's a really good example of the importance of being aware of yourself and, and who, who you are when you walk through the door at work. I really like that. And apart from the command and control and that a, a really passive kind of a, a social, is it a coaching or is it a mentoring type leadership role? What lies in between those two extremes of the spectrum when it comes to being a leader? What might those listening relate to when it comes to describing themselves? Mm. So if we've got at one end of the spectrum, we've got command and control, and the other end, we've got very much a collaborative style, which could be a coaching style. Collaboration isn't necessarily coaching. Oh, I think I would just call it different degrees of that. The extent to yeah. which you sit at one end or the other, I actually don't mind where you sit on that spectrum. On any of these spectrums, to me, what's important is that you understand where you sit most comfortably and then you can flex. So one of my clients is the Metropolitan or has been the Metropolitan Fire Brigade in Melbourne. And so when you're the, the officer on duty 
on the fire ground, this is absolutely command and control. It's not, okay, let's have a talk about which entry should we use. What's the strategy we're going to use when we get inside yeah. onto the fire it's, ground? It's actually do this. Let's all get together and talk. Exactly. So it's yeah. very much command and control. Yeah. But yet yeah. when we get back to the station or when we're debriefing what happens or when we're thinking about some other planning scenario, it needs to be much more collaborative. And so as long as you understand where you sit naturally and you can flex. So if I think, well, I'm a more collaborative leader, then I need to get outside my comfort zone in the times where I need to make quick, fast decisions and just tell people what to do because there are times when we need to do that as leaders. And conversely, if I'm a more directive leader, then there are times when I'm going to need to be much more collaborative and engage much more and consult much more and it will probably drive me crazy. And that's okay as long as I've got that flexibility and I can recognise when to apply it. And that speaks very nicely. It loops back almost as if we rehearsed that to the third principle you talked about when you defined leadership. It's about context and the situation and understanding the situation. And it also speaks to the second one because without followers, you couldn't do any of those things without having followers, people who see you as their leader. And remember, the org chart doesn't tell people who their leader is. People choose their leader. Without having followers, you can't do any of the things that you talked about and, and flexing between different styles is no good to you. But I love your answer there about styles and awareness of styles is really important. But I think it is a little bit of a mistake to talk to define yourself as a style because as you just so nicely explained in that situation and in so many situations, we need to flex. And sometimes we need to flex between the two most extreme styles, that really social collaborative style all the way to command and control, depending on the situation. But being aware of your natural style, I guess, gives you cues as to where you tend to be more naturally and where you need to be most aware of when the situation arises, aware that you won't naturally go there on your own accord without thinking explicitly about it. Look, that's all good stuff. You know, by the way, Corinne, I spend a lot of time in different organizations And I spend a lot of time observing really passive leadership in organizations, in large organizations where there's a a large hierarchy of play, a large number of people, but people are in very defined management roles or, or leadership roles and air quotes. I still see a lot of behavior or performance issues going uncalled. People seem to be timid and passive about stepping up and choosing to be a leader in that situation. Do you see a lot of that in your work? Do you think many of us are guilty of being too passive when it comes to being a leader? I think probably we're all guilty of that at some point. Some cultures will allow more of that, and I think that comes back to the senior leadership. I always find it interesting when I'm asked to work with an executive team or if let's say I'm having a conversation with the CEO, and if the CEO says to me, I need your help because my executive team need help and I need you to help me fix them or some version of that. It's usually a bit more sophisticated than that. but To do her job or do his job. Exactly. So if I ever get that, it's always a polite conversation around, yes, and let's talk about what they need and working one-on-one with the CEO always must be part of that (laughs) from my point of view because we need to get everybody on on the same page. But People in the organisation take their cues from the leadership team. 
And so if we've got a leadership team that's not modelling the behaviours that we want, including holding one another accountable across the executive team, then that will happen right through the organisation. So Mm. I think we've definitely got that. And quite often people see who don't know me well and might think of of the the coaching style that I'm advocating, that that's actually about being, you know, constantly being nice to people and give everybody a second chance and a third chance. And yes, it is. And then once you've given people the chances and you've put the structures around them to help them to develop, ultimately, if you're not able to fulfill the role of your job or you're choosing not to, then you don't belong here. If you're Mm. not buying into the ethos of the company or the, the direction that we're going in, then you don't belong here. So we, we need to make the tough calls. I think that quite often what I see is we go from tolerating bad behaviour to cutting people out altogether. Yeah, we don't understand that, that spectrum in between. Of, okay, David, so can we have a conversation about the way you've been over the last month or so? What do you think you've done yeah. well? You know, where yeah. are your strengths? Where might you be finding a few more challenges? We don't have mm. those conversations. So you go from thinking you're doing okay to yeah. being out. And yeah, that's, that's right. Well, I must be doing okay because no one said otherwise. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, and then when great. the poor person who does says that, then they're, there's a risk of that they're, um, they're bullying or they're doing something because, you know, <laughs> I've been this way for all of my career and no one's ever said anything. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. And from all of that, we can land on something that is true. Passive leadership is not an option. Passive leadership is not good leadership. There's all sorts of types. Being non-passive doesn't mean you're command and control or rough or loud or brutal. It means you're active and you're thinking about the way you're leading your team the way you're leading yourself and, and thinking about that situation, that contextual stuff that you talked about. Look, that's all fabulous. I love it, that being aware of yourself. Oh, by the way, something you said earlier, that getting some kind of feedback survey, a 360 degree, they're great. Obviously, um, there's a, I have a lot of time for the value that they give us. But you know, in my experience, and I've worked with a lot of people who have done this after our conversations, something that's really very useful and easy and cheap and actually very proactive and impressive to your colleagues is just to send one of those emails, like a, a self-done 360 degree where you send it to a few of your colleagues, you send it to the person you report to, maybe someone who reports to you, maybe even your boss's boss, and just ask them a small number. Just explain very simply that you're just on a bit of a pursuit of personal effectiveness and just ask them a really small number of questions about the things they've noticed about you. Things like, what do you think I do well? What do you think I, I don't do well? Where, where, where could I spend my time developing? What's one thing about the way I conduct myself at work that you think I should know? Questions like that are just as valuable feedback as any $160, 360-degree feedback survey. Do you think about it that way as well, Corinne? Am I, am I preaching to the converted or, or is that something that you shy away from? Absolutely. And I would just make it easy for people to give you constructive criticism. Mm, So what do I do well? People are are usually okay with that. What do I not do well or where am I letting you down? They can Mm. be hard questions to to answer. So what could I do better? Framing them so it's easier for people to answer because people, some people will struggle to give feedback that they might be worried you can't hear. So any questions you can reframe to make it easier for people to answer 
I'm not a big fan of 360 feedback. I think profiling uh, where you have specialist help with profiling where you self-answer is really helpful. Um, I've had some really damaging situations of 360 feedback where I've had to come in and clean up the mess afterwards because people have been given either feedback that was not helpful because there's not enough qualitative support. Now, what does it really mean? You know, I'm a two out of five, but why? Or so there's not enough qualitative support or they've been given really explicit feedback but no understanding of a context behind it and no opportunity to say, all right, David, I know you filled in my 360. I know you wrote this bit. Can you give me more? And people yeah. are just left damaged so that we've increased mm-hmm. their awareness potentially but given them no way to deal with it and that's yeah. tough. Yeah, and, and having said all of that, we, we still acknowledge the importance of getting some feedback because there's only so far we can go. If we're determined and, and anyone who's listening to this podcast is doing so because they're on a path of growth and they, they, want, to, they want to think about themselves as a leader and a professional that will only take us so far. We, we're kicking around thoughts in our own head about our own perception of, of ourself is limited. It's a broad limit. We can certainly do a lot with that. But in order to grow to our maximum potential, we really do need to know what other people see in us when we're working. Look, that's all great. And I love your definition. I love a couple of those spectrums we talked about in terms of being aware of ourselves and the flexing between styles. That's all great. But let's get to the million-dollar question when you wrote your book, and it's your second book, you landed on the concept of leaders asking questions as being, if not the most important thing, then then at least something that is vitally vital to being an effective leader. You're like vitally vital. I got myself in a in a in a corner. I painted myself into a corner there linguistically, and I fought my way out. And uh, why is it that you landed on that concept? Look, you've convinced me as someone who's read your book. It's simple and it makes sense, but I'd love to hear the story behind it. I see too many leaders really unsure of how to go forward because people aren't listening to them. So my people don't listen. I tell them this and they're not doing anything with it or they're not developing or staff engagement is low or back to that question before of passiveness that people aren't accountable for what they're doing. And so much of it comes back to us telling so when, if I tell you to do something, you might listen. It's only your rational brain that's going to be engaged. You're not likely to remember it. You're not likely to own it. There's no emotional charge to that. Yeah. Whereas if I ask you a great question that leads to that, you know, that flash of insight when you put together unrelated ideas and you come up with some new thing, an idea that's yours, then that does a number of things in the brain. There's an emotional connection which means that it's got a charge, so you're more likely to remember it. The hippocampus is involved, which is where you store memories. You're much more likely to be able to generalise. So instead of me telling you what to do and you might be able to fix that situation, when you've come out with an insight yourself, you've made rich neural connections to the stuff you already know across multiple contexts. So you can apply that idea in many different ways and locations and contexts. So... When I ask a question that leads to insight, you're going to be much more accountable. You're going to be much more likely to re- to remember it and to follow it through and to be able to apply it. So to me, it's an obvious thing and yet obvious and simple. Like it's simple to ask questions and yet really challenging because we are very prone to tell. That was my next question. So is the reason that you landed on it double-headed 
it's because one, it's so important and you just describe why it's so important because I, I'm accountable all of a sudden rather than you just telling me I've got to think it through and come up with the answer myself. And secondly, there's that, there's that, that emotion, that the thing that actually happens in my brain that gets me to buy in more because you're asking me, not telling me. I imagine that's one of the reasons. And I, I guess that's doubled up with the fact that naturally we're not very good at that. It's really important, but if we were naturally good at it, it wouldn't need to be pointed out to us. So I'm guessing the the second part of it is because we're not good. I want to share a story that only just popped into my head. When I moved from teaching to consulting nine years ago, I, I had a boss who taught me a huge amount. He was the business owner and I, I got to work with him quite a bit. And I remember we were, jump, we were getting on a flight where we were going to give a little presentation and he the plane took off and he turned and gave a little speech to me and then asked me the hardest question I've ever had to answer. It was about the presentation we were going to, to deliver and some concepts that underpinned it and the best way forward. And I remember just feeling flawed. I, I've, maybe until that moment in my, consult my very early consulting career, I had been told a lot of stuff. It may have been the first time I was expected to give a really intelligent and insightful answer that we were about to land and deliver on. And I will, I still haven't forgotten it. I still remember how I felt when he asked me the question. I remember the answer that I gave. I remember the question. I remember the exact wording of the question. It was a really powerful experience. And I learned a lot about that. And it's now that I read your book and have this conversation that it dawned on me as to why that was such a powerful moment. And I'm going to give myself a wrap here. I actually, as the introvert that I admitted to being before, I did something really smart, which surprises me because I felt under pressure. And I said, can you just give me a minute? And I sat back and actually thought it through rather than shooting from the hip, which introverts do really badly. We know that introverts like to think, do, and then think. I gave myself that chance to think, which really surprises me given the pressure I was under at that moment. So that's just a little story about me that that tells you that I've absolutely bought into the power of it because I've experienced it myself. How bad and, are and we? And that at you this? remember that you remember that some some years later, the power of that insight that you had. Yeah, can I just, yeah, can I just before we go on, can I just share a definition which might help the listeners around um, introvert and extrovert? So you said that the, as an introvert, I need to think, and yeah. so introverts need. To, if you if you're not sure if you're an introvert or an extrovert, introverts need to think before they speak. Mm. I'm an extrovert in terms of my thinking style. So I, yeah. if you ask me a question, I need to speak so that I know what I think. Wow. Uh, and to us, to, to us on the other side, that is just unthinkable that that would be the way that you come to the best response. That's the beauty of those dichotomies, isn't it? It is. So when I train and people are still not clear on that difference, I say to them, okay, so if, I, if you're, I'm an extrovert and if you say to me, hey, Corinne, do you want to go out for lunch? I'd say, yeah, yeah, I'd love to go out for lunch. Let's go to the Thai because there's a great Thai place down there. Actually, no, no, let's don't go there because it's Tuesday and they're not open on Tuesdays. And anyway, I had Thai for dinner last night, but there's a really good sandwich place. Why don't we go there? It's open at quarter past one and it's that's only in five minutes. So by the time we get there, it'll be open. They make really good Vegemite sandwiches. Oh, actually, I've already committed to Joe for lunch, so I can't have lunch today. <laughs> Whereas the introvert, when you ask that question, do you want to go for lunch? I would have thought, Ty, no, I had that for dinner last night. That sandwich joint's okay. Oh, no, I've committed to Joe for lunch. So they would do all of that silently. And then I'd say, I can't, unfortunately, I've committed to Joe. That's, that's, no that's the difference. That's no fun. It, I want the transparency of your thoughts. 
And it, it, it is an amazing, and that's just one of those differences that we, we keep on going back to because it's so fundamental. It illustrates that in every workplace, in every team, every leader, every follower, there are these bits of us that can exist on a really different part of a spectrum. And you and I are talking indirectly about MBTI, and there are, there are four there are four domains of dichotomies in MBTI, but but there are other elements of our of our being as well that that are so different. And that's why being aware of the people you lead and the people who lead you and how they roll, how they tick is is really just so important. You can't forget about that stuff. It's not just for thinking about when you happen to be in a workshop that you run. That's for thinking about all day, every day when you're interacting with people. But unfortunately, we get caught up in the business of life and the back-to-back meetings and the overflowing inboxes. And thinking about whether you're an introvert or an extrovert is the last thing on my list. I've had people say to me, oh my God, I've been married for 15 years and I've just understood my partner just with that little explanation. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It is amazing. Now, where was I going before? Oh, that's right. We would talk. Why do we not not ask questions? Yeah, are we not good at it? Why aren't we good at it? Who's particularly not good at it? What sort of profile of a person? And is there a profile of person you've found who who was actually a bit naturally better at asking questions than others? I think people who are curious, who are naturally curious, are naturally much better at questions because that's where they go first. Now, what's going on here? What's behind this? I wonder what if, how? So curious people are naturally good. I think who's, why do we struggle? And there's a couple of different profiles. I um, was doing a coaching with a, a leader and he was actually had a really good coaching style. And when he had one-on-ones with people, he was an exceptional coach because he consciously put on his coach's hat. But what he realized was in the day-to-day, people would constantly come out to him and they would ask him questions and he would answer them. And so he had this quite a dependency on him. And he was running large multi-million dollar infrastructure projects. So he had fairly significant project management teams all reporting to him. And what he was finding is that there was they were building a dependency on him and there wasn't time for him to do anything strategic because he was constantly this firefighting. Coaching. And oh, okay. He was, not, he was not. He was just answering the questions. And I right. said to him, so why are you so good coaching when you choose to and yet out on the, in the field you're, you're not? And his answer was immediate and he said it's time, it's habit and the desire to help. I want to help people. So... Time, when we, we talk that through logically, it's quicker in the moment to give someone an answer. Yeah. Only that once. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. It's like every morning when I put my five-year-old's shoes on and do up the laces. I have to do that every day, but it only takes me a minute. If I took the time to teach him to do up his shoelaces, I would never have to do it again. Exactly, which would probably take you a week or so of an hour every day, yeah. thinking back to how long yeah. that took in my household. But exactly, once yeah. you've done it, you don't, you don't want to be tying up the shoes of your 20-year-old. So, <laughs> so that, you know, For his sake. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what, what Brendan realised is that he was answering those questions and so he was instead pausing no he chose instead to pause and to ask a question to get people to think and to take that ownership back and that 
so that logically he realized that if he started to take a coaching approach, then yes, it would take longer in the short, the short term, term than tying the shoelaces, but it would release him in the longer term. And then habit, well, that's just, we just have to make a choice to break a habit and put reminders in place to do that. But the helping was really interesting because when we deconstructed that, what he realized is that he was helping too hard and his helping was stopping the growth of other people. And yet people... Yeah, he was a feeder. Exactly, exactly. Mm. So, so in that profile, it's just someone who's constantly on the go and they want to get things done and move on quickly and they want to help others. And so that's a, that translates into an inability or a reluctance to ask instead of telling. And I think the other profile that's really strong in the telling is young leaders who step into their first leadership role. So now you and I used to be peers, but now I've been promoted. So now I'm the team leader, first leadership role. I need to show that I know what's going on. I need to show yeah. that I'm in control here. And so I, I don't want to ask because that will make it look like I don't have the answers. Uh, yeah. And then, and then we, we typically then we end up with, with bottlenecks and micromanagement. So it's, it's that little bit of um, lack of self-worth as a leader that could lead us to not being a questioner, as well as the, the most obvious one, the one that you talked about first, is being busy. And then I think we, so that's the first leadership role. And then I think once we get to executive, it's almost the opposite, but we get the, <laughs> we get the, the same challenges because what executives tend to be told is what we think they want to hear uh, or what, what is good for our careers. Yeah. And so at the executive level, it's just as important to be asking good questions because in the same way you're wanting to develop your people, but you're also really wanting to understand what's going on here and protect yourself from being inside this glass bubble that's really disconnected from what's going on. Yeah, great stuff. All right, so asking questions is really important because it makes me accountable when you ask me questions rather than just giving me the answer. And it, and it sparks this emotional connection with the conversation. And I illustrated that by recounting a, a conversation I had nine years ago. We don't ask questions. So asking questions is really busy. We don't ask questions because we're busy. We're pushed for time. So we think it's easy just to tie up the shoelace now and never teach them rather than teaching them and never having to tie up the shoelace again. And we also tend to not ask questions because in some organizations, in some roles, some individuals feel as, feel as though they've got to know everything. And if they're asking questions, it's admitting that they don't know everything, which is obviously a ridiculous thing when you think it through rationally. That's all great. You've absolutely convinced me of all of that, Corinne. Now tell me, how can I be a good questioner? What does it take to ask good questions what are the right questions? Oh, there's a lot in that. I was reflecting last night, actually. Someone asked me, what's the difference between the sort of the high-level approach that I take in Leaders Who Ask and that other authors take in books that might encourage leaders to take more of a coaching style? And for me, the most significant difference is that most most books focus on the model. So here's what you should do. You should do this first and then this and then this. And yeah. I have a great coaching model. You know, I think it's a fabulous model. It's there. That's not the most critical thing. For me, the most critical thing is the state that you show up in. So uh -huh. who yeah. you are being as a leader rather than yeah. what you're doing. So who you are being, 
we need to listen, obviously. It doesn't, doesn't really matter how many good questions I ask. If I'm not listening, then you're going to, you're going to stop answering. So yeah. listening is really important. Being empathetic is very important. Having that, the empathy allows you to make a connection with the person. Um, curiosity, as I talked about, I think there's a lot of judgment that goes on in conversation. So you say something and I'm immediately making a judgment on do I agree or not agree? You know, do you have the right to say that or not? Do you have the knowledge to say that or not? Have I seen that in the past? Is it going to work? So there's a lot of judgment going on. And when people feel judged, they shut down or they jump forward and they, they move into a more of a, a fight defense response. So curiosity helps us to get through the judgment. So I think curiosity is critical. So what did I say? I talked about compassion. Listen, listening, empathy, empathy, curiosity, curiosity and courage. <laughs> courage. Courage is critical because if you're in a, we go back to where we started in this, the idea of command and control, I've got a certain level of control and a certain, you know, there's a more finite understanding of what's going to happen next if I stay in control. And uh, when we take a, a more asking, a more coaching style, leaders who ask need courage because you don't know where the conversation's going to go next. You're not so in control of it. You don't know what emotion the other person's going to bring into the conversation. You don't know what direction it's going to take. It might take the conversation way outside your level of comfort or your level of expertise. So I think courage is a major one. So if someone's listening to that and they've bought in the whole way along, why questioning is important, the things that are stopping them from questioning and they've said, yeah, that's me, that's me. They've heard you talk about the importance of listening, being empathetic, being curious and having courage. They've heard all of that. They've bought into it and they know I don't ask questions often enough. I, I, I tie the shoelace up too often because I'm too busy to take the time to do all of that. What do you encourage them to do differently from now on? How can I build into this? How can I build in to be a leader who listens? So first thing is just become really aware of the extent to which you're asking and telling now. So I tell people to track their ask-tell ratio. So how often are you asking those searching questions that people are thinking? That's and, a nice tangible one. Track yeah. it. Wow. So track yeah. your ask-tell ratio. How often are you just telling them what to do? So you might say, well, I'm going into a meeting now with my team. How often do I tell my team what to do and how often am I asking the questions? I'm about to just have a one-on-one -on -one with David. How often am I asking? How often am I telling? Or just as I walk through the office during the day, how often am I asking and telling? So that's the first thing. And all you're doing there is building awareness, not making a judgment on it, just building awareness. The second thing is have a couple of questions ready that you can start to bring into conversations. And you might just have two or three. Start to bring them into a conversation. As you get comfortable with them, start to bring some more in. And perhaps the step before that is pause. When someone asks you something or when you have an idea or when you're leading a, a, um, a meeting, pause. What's required of me here? And what's my purpose here? And what's the purpose of the conversation? Because that then shapes how you show up. And so a couple of questions that might, might be good questions could just be to share your thinking on that with me which is more of a statement than a question or actually, no, I guess there's an implied could you. So it's a, it is a question. Share, 
much are you thinking with me on that? Or what happened in the lead up to where we're at now? And one of the ones I love, if you are constantly beset by people saying, you know, David, what should I do here? David, this has happened. You know, David, this major account is falling over. We need, we need, what should we do? What should we, what do you think I'm going to tell you to do? Because usually people know they're looking for, they're not really looking for the answer. They're looking Mm. for your blessing. So, okay, right. Well, so that's going on. What do you think I'm going to tell you to do? Permission to think. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) it. That's great. I, lo- I like that. Track your ask-tell ratio. Ask yourself, what is my purpose here? Am I here to put out the fire? Am I here to solve the problem? Or am I here to develop my people and guide my team towards solving the problem? And have some pre-planned questions ready to go. Look, that is all fantastic stuff. Corinne, we've run out of time. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. I really enjoyed that conversation. Likewise, David. Thank you. And that was Corinne Armour. I really enjoyed our chat. She is full of life and enthusiasm for leadership and people. She did very well when I sprung on her the most difficult question of all, what is leadership? And I'm completely sold on the value of being a leader who asks. Being asked the right questions triggers a chemical response in our brain that ensures the experience is memorable It sparks deep thought and encourages ownership of our work and the way we think. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Corinne on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me. For the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership, this is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.